It's the 22nd of August, 2015, and this is episode 240. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is new, empowering, and exciting, but we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, we dip our beaks once more into the block size debate, but this time with a difference. We end today's show with my reading of the Wall Street Technologist's recent article, Bitcoin XT versus Core, Block Size Limit, the schism that divides us all. But before we get into the issue itself, we hear from John Ratcliffe, periodic LTB contributor, notable blockchain wonk, and for a while now, although perhaps not much longer, a community elected moderator at the Bitcoin subreddit, who watched from the inside as one man shut down and forbid discussion of what is arguably one of the most important events in the life and times of Bitcoin yet. Also, just a heads up, today's episode and the next few might be more lightly edited and produced than normal. I've had a somewhat major computer failure and it's disrupted operations here at the LTB homestead more than you would imagine. But it's not the end of the world, and even with my technical hurdles, I'm pleased to share with you John Ratcliffe with Confessions of an R Bitcoin Moderator. Enjoy the show. It's not what you think. You thought you were going to hear the dirty details of the inner sanctum of the Bitcoin moderators, a secret cabal of initiates who conduct ceremonies and rituals under the cover of darkness to control the Bitcoin community. Sadly, that is not the case. The vast bulk of our time and energy is devoted to removing duplicate posts and endless spam. When moderation is working correctly, the average user never sees it. On a daily basis, the R Bitcoin subreddit is spammed with posts promoting gambling websites, scams, altcoins, off-topic posts having nothing to do with Bitcoin. Those of us working dutifully in the moderator minds delete this noise so that the 150,000 or so subscribers don't have to deal with it. The life of a mod. It is a largely thankless job. It is on a volunteer basis. No one is being paid. Most of the current moderators were nominated by the community. At least that's how I came to be a moderator. About a year ago, the owner of the Bitcoin subreddit, a user who goes by the handle of Thamos, received a lot of criticism regarding the lack of effective moderation on the forum. The forum was being deluged with spam and noise. In response to the complaints, Thamos asked the community to make nominations for forum moderators. Since I had a long time posting history and reasonably decent karma, I was one of the ones nominated. I was spending a fair amount of time on the Bitcoin subreddit anyway, so I accepted and tried to contribute a little bit towards the cause. Reddit moderation is based on the community reporting violations. No one reports a post. It doesn't really show up on our radar. If they do, we look at it and make a judgment call. Most of what we have done in the past year hasn't been that controversial. That is, until this past Saturday, August fifteenth, two 2015. From moderators to censors, the good news I have to tell you is that nothing deep and secret and mysterious happened. The owner of the Bitcoin subreddit decided that any discussion of the proposed Bitcoin fork known as Bitcoin XT would not be allowed. He made the decision, he informed the moderator team of it, and then he acted upon it. It's not some deep, dark secret. He made it very clear and very public. So all this is good news. The bad news is that his decision was wrong in every way imaginable. Point of fail. 
When Thamos decided to use his centralized authority of the Bitcoin subreddit to stifle all debate and discussion of Bitcoin XT, he violated a core principle. As a decentralized peer-to-peer network, any point of centralized control is problematic. Even though I am, for the moment, a moderator of the Bitcoin subreddit, I hold that position solely at the discretion of its owner, Thamos. He can remove me at any time, and that is his right. This one single person holds absolute centralized control of the two largest communication platforms for the community to discuss the future and evolution of Bitcoin. This is both a difficult and simple problem to solve at the same time. It is difficult in that the two largest forums for discussion of Bitcoin are under the centralized control of a single individual. He exercises absolute control over what is or is not allowed to be discussed, including complete and total censorship power over the narrative in the two largest media outlets. On the other hand, anyone can move to another forum or subreddit with a click of a mouse. So simple, yet so difficult at the same time. How do you get 150,000 people to move to another subreddit or message forum? It's not easy, but as the only solution forward if the community wishes to continue a discussion about the future of Bitcoin in a more open and transparent way. Clearing the air on the no altcoins policy. I want to clarify some misconceptions which have been fostered over the past few days. The Bitcoin subreddit has a long history of not allowing posts about altcoins. In general, this hasn't been super controversial. Since the Bitcoin subreddit has a long history of removing posts on altcoins, Thamos took a very strong stance that Bitcoin XT is just another altcoin, no different than Dogecoin. He first posted this to the private moderator mail and later posted it as a public policy for all to see. I'm here to say this loud and clear and unequivocally, he is wrong. Either he doesn't see the distinction, or he does but doesn't care. For whatever reason, Thamos is profoundly against Bitcoin XT or any increase in block size in general. This is his opinion, and there are probably some valid arguments to be made on this point. The problem is, rather than sharing his opinion and engaging in the debate, he has shut down all debate by censoring the top two forums where the Bitcoin community discusses these topics. Which leads me to this. Is Bitcoin XT an altcoin? The answer is absolutely not. Altcoins run on an independent network. No one submits a Dogecoin transaction and suddenly Bitcoin miners have to process it. Dogecoin transactions never appear on the Bitcoin network at all. Bitcoin XT is not an altcoin, but rather it is an alt-client. The only official version of Bitcoin is based on the set of rules currently being run by a majority of the network. As soon as a new rule set is proposed via a possible software release, then all such versions are unofficial until they reach consensus. And this absolutely includes Bitcoin Core. Technically, not even a specific software implementation is official, since in theory people can implement any piece of software they want as a client, so long as it honors the existing rules. Currently, Bitcoin Core is the official reference client for Bitcoin because it implements the majority rule set. However, and this is key, the moment a new version of Bitcoin Core is released, which changes the rules, it is no longer official. It is just a proposal, and only if the majority of the network migrates to it does it become official again. So what exactly are we fighting about? If someone makes another client with different rule changes, then that too is just another proposal. It is no more valid or invalid than a proposed rule change to Bitcoin Core.
We cannot enforce such centralized thinking on a decentralized network. Bitcoin adapts based on the community voting. They vote by deciding which rule set they run. When the majority runs the new rule set, creating a new longest chain, then that becomes the newest official version. You cannot reach consensus without discussion. This notion that Bitcoin XT is an altcoin is nonsense. It's simply a version of the client with new rules, no different than a revision to Bitcoin Core with new rules. Which version the community adopts will play out over a period of time. For the community to make an intelligent and informed decision, they must be able to discuss these proposals. One of the most outrageous things I have heard in the past few days on this topic has been the claim that Bitcoin XT is appealing to populist sentiments. How else do you reach consensus without convincing the population of the Bitcoin community? You must communicate and discuss proposed changes. Bitcoin Core does not have some elevated status as the only possible version of the Bitcoin client. It's highly dangerous and centralized thinking. To be honest, I don't think that most of the people following this discussion even really want Bitcoin XT. Rather, they want Bitcoin Core to adopt some sort of compromise scalability solution. Most would be happy with a compromise and prefer it over switching to Bitcoin XT. However, the behavior of some in the community who are suppressing this discussion, hurling personal insults around, and who clearly have some very strong personal agendas that they are not being forthright about are what is creating this crisis. The Elephant in the Room on Bitcoin Centralization Almost everyone believes something should be done about the scalability issues. The objections raised to date have largely been irrational. Bitcoin is already ridiculously centralized because of mining pools. Whether the block size increases or not will have hardly any effect on this major existing problem. If we want to have a serious discussion about centralization, then it should be what are we going to do about mining pools? If the average Bitcoin enthusiast could run a Bitcoin node and get some tiny amount of reward for doing so, and it wouldn't even have to be that much, we would probably have an order of magnitude more nodes than we do today. This is the issue of centralization. It's not about disk space or bandwidth. The issue is that there is no longer any incentive for an individual to run a full node. This has been the case for a long time and is only getting worse. Is anyone discussing this issue if they really care so much about centralization? At any rate, there are numerous flaws in the reasoning surrounding this drive by a handful of developers holding the existing Bitcoin client for ransom. Few of us want to switch to another client. However, if that is the only way to address scalability in the face of a small centralized group who is holding the core client software hostage, then so be it. At the minimum, we should allow the discussion and let people vote their opinion based on which client they choose to run. If the Bitcoin network is so fragile that someone running a different client with a different rule set is an issue, then we have bigger problems. The reality is that people running different versions of the client is not a threat at all. It is an opportunity for the community to vote on the direction they want Bitcoin to take. Bitcoin XT is not a threat to Bitcoin, it is an option, a choice, a candidate to be voted on. One where the community can vote on which features they want to see in Bitcoin versus those which they do not. The future of Bitcoin is not in the hands of Thamos or any particular developer. The future is what we as an informed community decide as a whole. If you want to support one megabyte blocks, then great! 
argue that point and vote by running that version of the client software. But if you want to see Bitcoin scale, then do so by voting for a client which enables those rules. This episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin is brought to you by GetKeepKey.com, an easy, secure, Trezor-compatible hardware wallet coming soon. So as I mentioned during the opening, I've been having some computer problems, which in the past would have locked me out of some of my wallets. This time, not the case. I simply move my KeepKey from one computer to the other, I have three for various purposes, install the KeepKey Chrome browser extension and load up my funds. Even if the computer I'm using is riddled with viruses hunting my Bitcoin, I'm safe because even my computer has no idea what's going on. KeepKey scrambles the pad I use to enter my PIN, protecting the information from screen grabbers and keyloggers. Luckily, my problem this time just seems to be more of a hardware failure than a malicious attack, but either way it works. If you'd like to learn more about the KeepKey hardware wallet or sign up to be notified when it's available, visit getkeepkey.com. And today's magic word is BORK. That's B-O-R-K, BORK. As in, I totally borked my computer and it's really annoying editing on a laptop. You've got until the 29th of August to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener awards. So after hearing from John Ratcliffe, I felt it like it was a good idea to get kind of another perspective on this particular episode. In the future, we'll be talking more about this with the hosts and I'll be sharing a little bit of what I think about it. But for now, let's just talk about what else is being talked about. This article that I'm going to read to you comes from wallstreettechnologist.com and uh, posted by a guy named DJC. I couldn't find any contact information for him, so I was not able to reach out and let him know that we were going to be doing this. So if you want to reach out to me, Adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. The article is called Bitcoin XT versus Core, Block Size Limit, the Schism that Divides Us All. The news recently is all abuzz about the Gavin Andreessen and Mike Hearn fork of Bitcoin called Bitcoin XT. For the first time in the history of Bitcoin, its very existence has been put into peril by way of what is called a hard fork of the protocol. I've watched the situation develop and I feel I must comment on this topic as the amount of fear, uncertainty, and doubt coming from both sides is reaching alarming levels, and frankly, I think it's hurting Bitcoin, the price as well as the community. Priorities of Bitcoin Bitcoin, as a vision conceived by Satoshi Nakamoto, is a decentralized cash payment system. For such a system to work, you need a decentralized solution to the Byzantine General's problem. The reason Bitcoin is such a brilliant invention was that it solved the consensus problem in a decentralized way. The solution isn't a perfect one, in fact it can't be formally shown to hold on all cases, which is a source of consternation for many folks like Vitalik Buterin, and likely drove him to develop Ethereum in response to the desires to have a formally provably secure solution. But it is shown in practice to work, in most real-world situations so far. For this solution to work, Bitcoin holds the following priorities in descending order of importance. Consensus, decentralization, store of value, and payment system. It would seem that the goals of the Bitcoin project have since diverged under the leadership of Gavin to focus more on the payment system use case for Bitcoin at the expense of consensus and decentralization. 
I would argue that sacrificing consensus threatens all of the other aspects of Bitcoin, not the least of which is its use as a stable store of value. In fact, I believe such a consensus breach is an existential risk to Bitcoin itself. Compounding the problem is that the XT camp, and to a lesser degree the core camp, is increasingly using populist and alarmist strategies to scare the public onto their side, betting on, and rightly so, that most people do not know enough about the inner workings of Bitcoin and thus will be drawn to believe what they say based on their reputation alone. From the perspective of an interested third party, I can no longer watch the partisan media war that is taking place using carefully misleading language and omitting of facts to steer public to their causes. Morally, I refuse to join the ad hominem smearing and instead choose to focus on discussing the pros and cons of the debate from a purely scientific standpoint, in hopefully language that will make sense to the non-technical. The block limit debate in a nutshell. So what is the big debate about anyways? Block limit. I won't go into the nitty gritty details about how the blockchain is put together, but suffice it to say, the current limit of each size of each block on the blockchain is currently one megabyte, or actually a million bytes. And one block is mined on average every 10 minutes. That works out to be a theoretical limit of a paltry seven transactions per second or TPS. Not stellar as payment systems go. That's precisely why Gavin and Mike Hearn are pushing for increased block sizes in principle. For comparison, Visa can support on average about 2,000 transactions per second, PayPal about 115 transactions per second. Visa's theoretical limit is an astonishing 50,000 transactions per second. So why is Bitcoin artificially limiting itself to something so low? Because Bitcoin being a decentralized system with no one central point of processing, it's susceptible to denial of service attacks. What that means is that bad actors in the network can collude to attack the network stability itself, if it becomes profitable for them to do so. Making it unprofitable for them to do so is the key innovation of the Nakamoto consensus solution. Satoshi put in the one megabyte limit himself in anticipation of having some limiter to the size, which would prevent bad actors from breaking into the system before it was widely adopted enough to be resilient. He did himself foresee a time where the limit could be relaxed, but wasn't sure at what point that may be due to the fact that it depends on a lot of variables. We still don't know what the limit should be, but the general consensus is that 2 megabytes is okay, 8 megabytes unknown, 20 megabytes definitely risky. Why? Selfish miners. Selfish mining is one such attack which was clearly explained in Satoshi's paper as a possible weakness of Bitcoin. This entails a miner who has a significant amount of hashing power, mining blocks but not publishing them, thereby creating a secret longer chain than the rest of the network does not know about with the intent of broadcasting it later. And in doing so, we'll reverse some transactions that have been already confirmed in the public but shorter chain. This is the infamous double spend attack. Normally, this can only be accomplished reliably when one possesses over 51% of the hashing power on the network. What most people don't know is that the network propagation is also a factor here. Satoshi admitted that his calculations on the percentage of hashing power in order to pull off a 51% attack reliably assumes no significant network propagation delays. Indeed, the danger of allowing block size to increase to the point where the expected delays in block propagation through the network has been discussed ad infinitum in the past, and the reason why the block debate has been ongoing since at least 2011. In this regard, I can understand why Gavin feels like there must be something drastic done to force the issue. The attack goes as follows. If blocks were allowed to be too big, big enough to add plausible delays to propagate to all nodes, then the miners would be incentivized to stuff the blocks they're mining full of transactions to pay themselves, or a cohort, up to the allowable block limit. They do not broadcast these transactions to the network unless they solve the block themselves, 
removing the possibility of paying miner's fee to some other miner. If they manage to solve the block, they immediately broadcast all their spam transactions and blockchain solution. The other miners would then have to drop what they're mining and start downloading the new, very large block, which may take some time and verify, which involves checking the validity of all contained transactions, which will also take some more time. All this results in an appreciable head start that the attacking miner can enjoy in mining the next block. So what he's successfully done is increased his effective hashing power, giving him a slight edge over his competitors. Of course, this is a game-theoretic problem, so we can assume that once one miner starts doing this, then either all other miners will start doing it, and make orphan blocks and double spends a lot more common, or band together to share high bandwidth connections and nodes, and push the system more towards a centralized one. Both situations are bad for Bitcoin, so everyone can agree that too big of a block size would open up Bitcoin to a certain type of fragility that has up until now not been a problem. So how big is too big? Unlimited block limit is clearly bad, and 20 megabyte is generally agreed upon as pretty risky, up to an 8 second propagation delay. What's wrong with 8 megabytes? Frankly, it's probably okay. Probably. The problem is, nobody knows, because nobody has finished researching the issue to a satisfactory level yet. This is why some core developers are calling for more time to analyze what the safe limit would be given current bandwidth limitations on the present internet. Others have proposed counter-solutions to increase block limits that take a much more conservative approach. XT proposes that we start with an 8 megabyte limit and scale up two times every two years until it reaches 8 gigabytes. Gigabytes. This will certainly make Bitcoin able to compete with Visa, but can we be certain that network bandwidth growth will keep up? What happens if a global downturn occurs and we see a slowdown in technology development? What happens to the people who bought Bitcoin as a hedge against fiat money collapse? But for me, the scariest part is that once XT's block limit increase schedule is triggered, there is no turning back. What are we really arguing about here? That brings me to the crux of the matter. What we have here is an ideological schism in Bitcoin. Most people feel to realize that this is what the block debate is really about. On one hand, you have people who believe Bitcoin should be the new Visa system. They believe that Bitcoin should be able to handle all the transactions on planet Earth, from everyone's daily coffee purchase to everyone's house purchase, to how Google cars should be paid for their services. On the other hand, you have those who believe that Bitcoin's core value is in the fact that it is a hedge against fiat currencies, and by extension, governments. Bitcoin cannot be both. It's just not possible. For a system to be able to support the proposed 53,000 transactions per second, it'll need to be massively centralized, like Visa. If such a system existed, like Visa, it would no longer be immune to government coercion or control. The opponents of XT will argue that it's inevitable, nay necessary, that subdomains writing on top of Bitcoin network be set up to handle local payments between local parties, thus keeping the required number of transactions on the actual Bitcoin blockchain manageable. A current project underway, the Lightning Network, is exactly one such solution. And just as an aside to listeners, this is not the article again, this is back to Adam. Um, we have uh, Rusty from the Lightning Network who's going to be on an episode. Uh, Matthew Zipkin is going to do another one of his Understanding series interviews, and so we'll be getting deep into Lightning in the next couple of weeks. Back to the article. Risks of not raising the limit. The biggest argument against doing nothing, or doing nothing urgently, because I believe mostly all the devs agree that the limit must be raised eventually, is that if the limit is hit due to real transactions in the network, then confirmation times will be variable and delayed. This is a valid point. What'll happen is due to transactions piling up, people will no longer be able to reliably assume that they'll get a confirmation in around 10 minutes. 
The simple rebuttal to this is that customers of payment processors like Coinbase and BitPay doesn't matter, as they'll give you a confirmation without waiting for a block anyways. What it does mean is that there's a chance that your transaction could be double spent and the payment processor would have to cover it. I personally don't consider this a major concern to current users. Most people who don't use a payment processor aren't really that sensitive to confirmation times. If you were sensitive to confirmation times, then you're likely already happy waiting an hour to confirm anyways. Another valid concern is that transactions piling up unprocessed will put memory pressure on nodes running on small memory capacity hardware. But the biggest rebuttal to this is that transaction traffic, natural traffic, not a contrived stress test, will not happen suddenly. If it seems like the limit is getting hit persistently and confirmation times are becoming a problem, an emergency limit increase is something that the core devs can patch very quickly and simply. They can execute such an emergency block size QE, if you will, at a moment's notice. They've demonstrably done this kind of deployment before, during the one previous hard fork and with the F2 pool bug, so what's the rush? Fee-free markets. On the other side of the fence, core devs want to let the limit be reached in order to force wallet apps to implement the necessary protocols and interfaces for developing a fee market. What this means is that they see that Bitcoin can never be free for everyone. If it were, it would have to be centralized, as we've discussed previously. So although I believe everyone wants Bitcoin to be cheap enough, cheaper than any present centralized alternative, the core folks want to encourage a free market mechanism where if the network transaction load is high, you'll need to pay more fees to get your transactions processed on time. Currently, this is technically possible, but due to most wallet software's inability to estimate the likely charge that is required or lacking the ability to pay more and raise the priority of your transactions that are already broadcast, it's not implemented in practice. Part of the reason they want the block limit to be hit, gently, is so wallets are forced to upgrade to be able to make this experience better for their users and thus be ready when the real limit, the unknown one, where bandwidth creates the significant denial-of-service attack concern, is hit because Core won't be able to raise it any further beyond that without compromising the integrity of the network. What is a hard fork and why is it dangerous? Okay, thanks for bearing with me. If you've soaked in all that we've said so far, you've got a pretty good grounding of what the debate is about. Now onto the process by which XT is going about the fork and why it is irresponsible. A hard fork means that the blockchain will split, with each side having a common ancestry, but be irrevocably non-reconcilable with each other. I'll spare you most of the details of the XT forking rules, as I'm sure you can find those elsewhere. But generally, after January 2016, if 75% of the last consecutive 1,000 blocks are mined by XT miners, then XT miners will be able to accept up to an 8 megabyte block as valid. Sometime after that, once this first big block is mined, let's call this the Judas block, then it'll be rejected by the other 25% of the network. They'll drop it and continue mining on the block that came before, let's call that one Jesus, and then we'll mine a different block that comes after, let's call that one John. The XT miners cannot accept John, as it builds on top of an invalid parent block. They need it to be built on top of Judas. And so goes on to mine Pontus. Meanwhile, the core loyalists will mine Paul block, which builds on top of John. Any subsequent blocks mined on either side will be dropped as invalid by the other. Effectively, we now have two Bitcoin networks with respectively 25% and 75% of the pre-hashing power before the Judas block. It is untrue that the 25% will be compelled to join the majority. They may go along happily mining on the John chain in perpetuity. Their block reward, or mining income, will not be diminished. In fact, they will be making more mining rewards due to the smaller amount of competition mining that chain. What will end up happening is that hash power distribution will have changed. The previous owner of 10% of hashing power, pre-Judas, 
will now find themselves with 45% of the hash power in the new John chain, and similarly miners on the Judas chain will have increased effective or relative hashing power. In truth, both chains are now less secure than the combined chains pre-Judas. Most importantly, fungibility of bitcoins are now broken. Both chains will still get transactions from the whole network. Indeed, transactions of coins that were mined before the Judas block are valid on both chains and thus will be attempted to be mined on both. That is, unless the transactions include any coins minted from a block after Jesus in either fork. In which case it cannot be spent on the opposing fork from whence it came. So what? Why is this situation really bad? Because of the exact reason why hard forks are dangerous. If they have a consensus, they're resolved quite quickly, with one fork winning over the other, and it doesn't matter which is longer. That's how it was resolved in the past, by unanimous endorsement by code to choose one or the other and upgrade or downgrade accordingly. If there is no clear winner because each side wants to stick to their guns due to ideological reasons, then this is a problem. Why? Consider Alice, who uses wallet A, and Bob, who uses wallet software B. Wallets need to communicate with nodes to get their block confirmations. If wallet A is connected to a Bitcoin John chain node, and Bob's wallet B is connected to a node running XT Judas chain, then they are no longer going to see the same block confirmations, and they won't even know it. Alice will send Bitcoins to Bob, she sees a confirm, but Bob will never see a confirm if the coins are originally mined from a post-Judas block. If it is from the Jesus block or less, then her transaction from Bob will work and be seen by both, but then Alice can respend those same coins with a counterparty on the John client. And this goes both ways. This breaks the fungibility of Bitcoin and will likely cause a massive loss of confidence of Bitcoin as payments will no longer be able to reliably be confirmed. Because both are operating on the same network, IP ports, QR codes, URI, etc., there's no way to detect in advance if your payment is going to be made to a receiver who can receive it until after you've tried or unless you're really tech savvy and you know which side of the fork you're on. This bad situation can happen as early as 100 blocks after Judas block, about 16 hours. Much of the chatter in social channels portraying the XT upgrade as perfectly safe seems to be deliberately ignoring this fact, and for understandable reasons. If, and only if, everyone does upgrade to XT, then we will have no problems. But if they don't, and it turns out to be a game of chicken, then we all will suffer. Where is Satoshi? So with all these scary uncertainties, you may ask why hasn't Satoshi come out to speak on behalf of one side or another in order to settle the dispute? Indeed, it would be akin to him coming out to act as a third-party mediator, such as when a parent comes in to break up a fight among siblings. There has in fact been a post by someone claiming to be Satoshi from a valid known Satoshi email address, although that email address was compromised by hackers and used last year, claiming pretty much that the XT fork is unnecessarily dangerous. Despite the many allegations that if it really were Satoshi, he would be signing a message with a known PGP key or perhaps moved his coins to prove it was him, he has not done so. I for one do not believe that he would, if you read the message, ignoring for a second who it's from, he's saying that Bitcoin's vision is not one where it is subject to the egos of charismatic leaders, including Satoshi Nakamoto. People who harp on the fact that Satoshi has not made a provably authenticated statement are clearly missing the whole point of this message. If he were to do so, rest assured the whole community would rally with him. But that is exactly what he doesn't want to happen. A whole community blindly following his authority. Consistently so, the author points out that if it takes a benevolent dictator to pull us out of this mess, deus ex machina, then Bitcoin, as a project in decentralized money resistant to authority, has failed. That tautological statement is provably true if you can wrap your head around it. Therefore, if Satoshi wants it to succeed, he won't use his god card and settle disputes. If Bitcoin continually needs Satoshi to keep us from going astray, 
then Bitcoin isn't worth saving. Considering that Satoshi has likely the most coins at risk than anyone else, and his coming forward to break the impasse would likely save us and the value of his own coins, it's truly commendable that he has not done so. The fact that he hasn't tells me he, wherever he or she is, is truly acting in an altruistic manner. He's more willing to let Bitcoin die than to let it continue on a system that does not value consensus and its first and foremost priority. Wrapping this up. Gavin and Hearn are trying to force consensus in an inception-like manner, betting on the fact that if 75% agree with him, whether they're all well-informed actors or not, then the other 25% remaining will be forced to fall in line, otherwise risk-breaking Bitcoin for everyone. Why are they doing that? One can only imagine they feel Bitcoin needs to grow, otherwise risk being taken over by a competing cryptocurrency. Although current transaction volumes are not hitting the limit yet, they believe that adding capacity will stimulate growth. That sounds more like a strategy that Ben Bernanke or Janet Yellen might believe. What they may end up doing is they'll cause the end of Bitcoin itself if the 25% minority believes it's better to continue running a reduced hash power version of Bitcoin that values consensus over one that's run by a charismatic leader who's willing to force changes onto the network or split it off into separate sects if he doesn't get his way. If we choose that to be the overriding model of Bitcoin, then Bitcoin as Satoshi envisioned it, as far as an experiment in collective consensus building money free from authority, has failed. So just ask yourself one question. Given all the unknowns and potential existential risks to Bitcoin, what is the rush? Why the urgency? One thing is for sure. If we make it out without blowing ourselves up, we'll see a big jump in the Bitcoin price. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's show was provided by John, Adam, and WallStreetTechnologist.com. This episode was sponsored by Get, Keep, Key, and featured music from Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. Any questions or comments? Email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one.